So we're in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him, and thronged him. And then we'll drop down to verse 35 and continue reading. While he, was, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ is always good and kind, always gentle and patient to those it pleases him to bless. So it proved in this chapter 5 of Mark. These three miracles that we have read together over the past few weeks, the miracle of the Gadarene demoniac, the miracle of the lady with the issue of blood, and this miracle of the raising of Jairus' daughter are marks of the Lord's goodness and kindness. And we can see it here. The Apostle Paul speaks of the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And here it is demonstrated in his actions before us. And that is something that we should remember. This goodness, this gentleness, this kindness is how we should regard 
the Lord. Yes, we know that God is great and God is all-powerful and he is the God to be revered and the God to be feared. But he is a God who loves us and he is the God who in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ draws near to us and sustains us and helps us and comforts and blesses us. But there's a lesson here also. That this God who is kind and gentle and gracious to his people, he also will exercise our faith. And I want us to consider that for a moment because to be forewarned is to be forearmed. I want us to consider this exercising of faith so that we will be prepared for it when it occurs. Now, pause and think about that for a moment. Maybe, maybe you'll say to me, well, you've only just made it in time because I am being pressed in my life right now. Well, then this word is particularly relevant for you today. But for others of us, for whom perhaps the great pressures and trials of life have not yet fallen upon us or are not immediately and imminently upon us, then let us be prepared for them at their coming by what we see described in these verses today. There will be times when the Lord's dispensing of that goodness and kindness to us that we have already uh, 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 thought about will appear to be interrupted. That his help will be delayed, even postponed. And the blessings that we urgently desire don't appear when we hope they might. As we think about Jairus today, let us apply his case to ourselves. Let us see that the delay that was imposed by the interruption of this lady with the issue of blood was designed to teach Jairus a lesson and indeed the disciples a lesson, and thereby to teach you and me a lesson as well. Maybe, like Jairus, you long to see a child saved. Maybe you have a desire to see your son or your daughter brought into a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. Maybe that's your hope, that's your prayer, that is what you have taken to the feet of the Lord. And yet the Lord tarries and time passes and our impatience and our desperation grows. If the Lord delays upon our requests, whether it's that question or another, let us remember Jairus and let us think on him as he stood by and waited 
for the Lord Jesus to end his conversation with the woman with the issue of blood. Oh, how he must have longed for that for that incident to be at an end, that the Lord would once again make haste to follow him to his home, to that little girl's room, upstairs to her bed where she was lying in need of his touch. Lord, hurry up! But the Lord was dealing with another need. And sometimes we have to learn to be patient. We wait too as Jairus did, upon the Lord's purpose and the Lord's timing. We have to learn faith. Learn what it means to have our faith tried and tested and proved. Jairus was a leader of the synagogue. The name means whom God is enlightens and there is something lovely about that it seems as if there had been a degree of enlightenment prior to his coming to the Lord Jesus Christ that he had sought out Christ for the purpose of this healing but there was more light yet to be given to Jairus he was a top man in the religious community. And and maybe this is Capernaum, we can't be absolutely certain, but it's likely that the Lord had returned to Capernaum from the coasts of the Gadarenes. But even if it isn't, he was a leader of the religious community there in that, uh, that region, that area. But what Jairus had discovered, what he had realized, is that his religion And all of the teaching of the synagogue and all of the ritual that that contained, it was inadequate in this moment of need. The need that was now before him required more than his religion could provide. His daughter was at death's door. And doubtless, like the woman with the issue of blood who had tried for 12 years um, to to, to gain relief from from the doctors. Doubtless, Jairus and his wife had tried all they could to help that young girl. But desperation drove Jairus to Christ. You know, desperation can drive a person to drink. Desperation drives others to despair. Desperation sometimes drives people to self-destruction. But if desperation drives us to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that is blessed trouble indeed. It did for Jairus. And Jairus was a man who had some faith in Christ's ability to heal his daughter. And it may have been imperfect, but what faith is not? It may have thought that it required the presence of Jesus. It required the touch of Jesus. It required the immediacy of of that hand upon his daughter. In, 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 some, in, in some way uh, that, that, that served Jairus' understanding of 
the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we find here is that true faith must be tested. It must be tried. In fact, Peter talks about this, doesn't he? He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what that's saying there? We, we thought about the death of, the, of, of, of the, 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 the saints being precious to the Lord. But at that time, at that time when we enter into the uh, presence of the Lord, that, that trial of our faith will be for praise and honour and glory. And so trial of faith is something that is not uh, to be uh, denied or rejected. It is a helpful and wholesome thing. As for Jairus, in his circumstances, so for you and me. As the Old Testament says, Isaiah, I think, there is a blessing in it. Jairus wanted a physician, but he got a resurrection. And he found the Lord Jesus Christ to be the resurrection and the life. Today, I want to consider four lessons that this passage teaches us. And those lessons come from four short phrases that we discover in the verses before us. And I'm sure that these lessons were for the disciples just as much as they are for us. But may we learn from that little phrase that the Lord spoke to Jairus, only believe, only believe. May we learn the preeminence of faith. May we learn from the fact that the people in Jairus' house laughed the Lord Jesus to scorn something of the perversity of religion. May we learn from the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ put them all out that the nature of grace is particular. And may we learn from the Lord Jesus Christ's words to this little girl, Damsel, arise, that there is power accompanies the words of Christ. So these are the four headings that I have based upon these four little phrases. The preeminence of faith, the perversity of religion, the particular nature of grace and the power that accompanies the uh, words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the first point then, the preeminence of faith. Based upon this little phrase, be not afraid, only believe. These two words, only believe, were uttered by the Lord Jesus Christ to Jairus. And they were spoken at that moment, that precise moment, when this man's greatest loss and grief and, and maybe we can even say failure because he had he had come to Christ to take Christ back to his daughter. 
His people said, don't trouble the master anymore. She's gone already. Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And there in his moment of grief, in his failure, the Lord Jesus Christ looks at Jairus. As, as Jairus' hopes crash around about him, he says, as it were, Jairus, don't worry. Don't doubt. Don't be afraid. I've got this. Only believe. He says to Jairus, as it were, this is outside your power, but I'm in control. And there is a calmness. There is a calmness. There is a calmness in the Lord Jesus Christ's words, both in the way in which he speaks them. Only believe. Jairus, only believe. And there is a calmness effected by those words. Because in Jairus' heart and in his mind, he is given a glimpse of something in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he had not yet anticipated. That even yet, Christ was willing and able to do more for him than he had hoped. Jairus, do you believe that I can? She's dead. She's gone. I've failed. If Jairus had pinned his hopes on Christ before, then more so now. Would he, could he believe? Do you and I believe the Lord Jesus Christ when he speaks? Do you and I trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you and I take the words of Christ, take the works of Christ, and as they are revealed to us in the gospel of salvation, believe them? Believe that this is the way of life, that this is how righteousness is imparted and imputed and bestowed, that this is how sinners are justified, that this is the way of life and salvation. Do we believe? Here was a lesson for Jairus, and it was a lesson for the disciples, Peter, James and John and the others, and it's a, a lesson for the church and a lesson for you and me as well. When all our resources are spent, when all our strength is gone, when all our ability has come to an end, then all we have left is to look to the Lord Jesus Christ in complete and utter dependence. And that little phrase, be not afraid, only believe, only believe. It goes to the heart of the nature and the purpose of faith. What does the Lord look for in his people? Not, not good works, not offerings of animals or, or, or things that we can sacrifice and give up so that we might... Um, Encourage him to, to look upon us positively. That's not what the Lord's looking for from his people. He's looking for faith, trust, 
dependence on him. Confidence and, 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 and comfort in our souls. A sense of peace that he is in control. That we trust the one who is able. And this goes to the heart of faith because it takes and it lifts all of the obligation of doing and duty and, and service in order to, to deserve as if we're some sort of mercenary serving God for, for his privileges and his blessings, his kindness. It takes it off the weak sinner and it lays it upon a strong saviour. Let me tell you simply what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he, our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, has accomplished for his people everything needful for our salvation. That's it. That is it in a nutshell, that Christ has done it all. Do you need peace of conscience? Do you need cleansing for your sin? Christ has accomplished that. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Do you need a righteousness, a holiness that justifies you with God? That's accomplished. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, Ye are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We find what we need in Christ. Do you need a reason to, to hope? In eternal life after you die? Well, it's supplied in Christ. Paul tells Titus, his young friend, God that cannot lie promised his people eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ before the world began. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. Do you need an explanation as to how the Lord Jesus achieved all this? Okay. Okay, you can have it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And do you want to know what that all means for the believer? Well, the gospel tells us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the Lord Jesus Christ points us and he says, only believe, only believe, that's all that is required. Faith is simply believing and trusting and relying upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished. That the Lord Jesus Christ is all that we need. Now let me say something about this little phrase, only believe. Because some people, some churches, some preachers, 
They put a lot of emphasis upon this point to the to, to the degree that it becomes an all-consuming message of their ministry. And it's designed in a way as if it is being thrown out to the world, to, to unbelievers. But let me remind you something. Jairus was already a believer. He had already come to the Lord Jesus Christ, fallen down before him and pleaded for him to come. Now, I, I've already agreed that it perhaps was an incomplete understanding as to the true identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he had faith in Christ nevertheless. Jairus was already a believer. And the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, calls believers to believe. The faithful to faith. And those who trust, to trust more. Because it's in believing through faith that our spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ grows. That our experience of grace deepens. And that our comfort with the Lord Jesus Christ is recharged and reinvigorated. When this little girl was dying, Jairus hoped that Jesus could heal her. But faith will be tested and faith will be tried and faith will be exercised. For Jairus this day was to be one of those days of exercised faith. And maybe today is such a day for you. Maybe your, your faith is being exercised right now. The second thing that I want to mention from this passage is this. These people that had gathered in Jairus' home laughed the Lord Jesus Christ to scorn when he told them that the girl wasn't dead, but that she was just asleep. And from this I want to draw some thoughts about the perversity of religion. When the Lord Jesus Christ reached the home of Jairus, they encountered these mourners and their mourning was already in full flow. This was a religious tradition of loud, excessive weeping and wailing that went on in the home of the bereaved. Mark calls it a tumult. And the Lord himself calls it this ado. You see, Jairus in many ways epitomised religious ceremony and tradition. He was a leader of the synagogue and these were his friends. These were his people. They were doing what tradition expected and required of them. So in a sense, we could say this was a religious practice and activity that was happening here. And religion is a system that makes a lot of noise. It's a tumult. It is much ado. But it is much ado about nothing. Organised, popular religion can be very demanding upon its, its adherents. But it is in itself 
powerless to save. All this religion of Jairus could do was to mark the passing of the dead. But it couldn't give life. And when the Lord Jesus Christ explained that he had the spiritual power to raise this girl, they scorned the Lord of glory. They laughed at the King of Kings and they mocked the creator of the world and the giver of life. Religious people who claimed to know God denied he was God when God stood before him or stood before them. They laughed in his face. And I'm going to make this a little bit personal. Standing outside of formal, organised religion can seem to be a cold and a lonely place. And there is a very real sense that that is what we're doing today. You're in your own home. You're, 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 you're not engaged or involved in what would ordinarily normally be called formal religion. And I'm not, I'm not simply talking about it being in a, a church or a, or a building. But when the Lord God tells his people to come out from among them and be ye separate, he is distinguishing between all who mock the truth by denying the gospel of free sovereign grace while setting up an alternative of works religion, free will religion and worldly values in the place of the simplicity of the faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ is not in it, then we shouldn't be in it either. And if the Lord says, come out from among them and be ye separate, then it might be an odd and even a cold and lonely place as far as the society around about us is concerned. But it is the right place to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think thirdly about what the Lord did when he met these people. He put them all out. He put them all out. This shows us the particular nature of grace. That little phrase, he put them all out, sets the cat amongst the pigeons. The world wants an inclusive gospel. It wants a gospel for everyone. A gospel that is for all people, giving everyone a chance. A gospel of salvation that is based on everybody's free will, everybody's religious duty and everybody's good works, earning them God's pleasure. Well, what have we seen in these early chapters of Mark? What have we frequently, often seen in these early chapters of this little gospel? That the Lord does not set his grace before all men and women, but he gives it to his chosen elect people. Now I ask you, 
what greater evidence and proof of his divinity, of his true identity, of his sovereign power over life and death could there have been than to have raised this little girl before an audience of cynical unbelievers? That would have been undeniable proof. And yet, given the opportunity to do just that, rather the Lord emptied the house and put them all out. This was not for them. This was not for their eyes, nor for their ears, nor for their understanding. God's grace is particular. And it is designed for his chosen people. Those that he selects, the mother and the father, Peter, James and John, the chosen, privileged viewers and receivers of his glorious truth. These were the people that he had loved before time. These are the people that he had represented in the everlasting covenant of peace. These are the people that he came to earth to redeem, to deliver and to convert. And Christ did not perform his miracles and, and do his works and say his gospel for everyone to see and to know and to understand. But he revealed these things particularly to a chosen few. The Lord Jesus Christ could have ended child mortality when he came into the world. But he only raised this little girl. He could have stopped every illness, but he just healed the woman with the issue of blood. He could have destroyed every demon, but he went across the sea to where that poor soul was in the land of the Gadarenes in order to deliver him specifically. Because these were his inheritance. These were his bride. And someday the Lord Jesus Christ will again put them all out. And he tells us what he will say so that we can listen out for it in the day of Christ. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. If we do not understand the particular nature of the gospel, we neither understand the gospel nor the Christ of the gospel. And finally, let us consider the power that accompanies Christ's words. That little phrase, damsel, arise. Hear the words of the Saviour as he reaches out and takes this little girl by the hand. Damsel, arise. Those words were not an offer of life to be accepted or rejected at the free will choice of that little girl. That little girl was dead. But these were words of power. This was a command to death to release her. 
This was a command to life to return to her lifeless body. And what a picture was given to Peter, James and John in that moment. They had seen the Lord still the waves and the wind. They had seen him expel a legion of demons. They had now seen him raise a dead child to life. What message were they receiving as they themselves prepared to be the apostles of the church of Jesus Christ, but that the word of Christ had power, power to save, power to deliver. This was the gospel that was committed to them as apostles, and this is the gospel that is committed to us today, to the church of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Sometimes we call that effectual calling because it is a word of divine power that is enabling and brings life to lifeless souls. Quickens the dead who are dead in trespasses and in sin. Now, that little girl could no more remain in her dead state in her dead condition than the earth could refuse to form or the heavens refuse to exist at the creative command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such is the power that goes forth in his word, the power to save. That is what Paul calls the gospel. The gospel of salvation, the power of God unto salvation. Let me summarise this and then we're done. What we see in these miracles is sovereign grace demonstrated and exemplified. The gospel isn't about free will and it never was. It's not about universal offers, and it never was. It is about the powerful, distinguishing grace of the triune God, ready and able to save his people from their sins and deliver them justified, righteous, holy and blameless according to his covenant purpose and promise. And that's the gospel that we preach and it's the gospel that saves. When Paul and Silas were confronted by the Philippian jailer, crying, what must I do to be saved? They might well have answered in the words of the Lord, only believe, only believe. But just in case there was any doubt as to who is to be trusted and relied upon. They declared, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. May the Lord give us faith this day to believe as his word of power goes forth in the gospel. Amen. <laughs>